0: God, we're yours. We just come right out and say, God, we belong to you. Uh, we really love you and we want to live to shine for you because you've just changed our lives completely. You've changed our lives and we just want more of you every day. And so as we gather together tonight, God, we just want to cry out for your, um, your glory to be seen in this city and in this world. And we cry out for those right now who are in real trouble. God, we think of people in Israel and Palestine and the conflict that's going on, and so many have lost their lives. And God, the escalation of war just seems to be inevitable. But God, we know that with man, things like this coming to an end are impossible. But God, with you, all things are possible. So we cry out, God, would would you help to bring peace to this region? God, we pray that... As people discuss the UN and everybody tries to seek to find some negotiation to take place, that innocent lives would, would not be lost and that many people's lives would be spared. God, we just cry out for this area. Lift the people up before you. God, we think of those that have kill, been killed in the tsunami uh, recently. And we just, our heart breaks for Indonesia, God. And we think of just the, the number of lives that have been lost through this second tsunami now and also through this. Um, volcano earlier on and God we just ask that you'd have you'd be helping raise up people in that area to help in that region oh God we lift up those people to you and God tonight we want to pray for the people of Malawi Uh, we have already grown to start to love them more and more and as we've given to try and help we just pray right now the things that we've given would be helping already now to make a difference in Malawi God, we pray for the Gervens, uh, for, for the Gervin family as they work in translation. And God, we pray for the Wilmonts and we just ask that you would be helping them to equip and to train people in agriculture. And God, we pray that our giving would continue to make a difference. Oh Lord, tonight, thank you that you're here. Your word promises that you're here. And we want you to speak to us and to challenge us and to change us to become more like you. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Is the mic on? Hello? All right, good, sorry. How's everyone going anyway? Good? Good. It's hard to reply, isn't it, you know, if you don't know what to say. Um, I want you to think of a, a sport or an activity that you love to do, kind of think about what that might be, maybe it's uh, footy, if you like footy, or tennis, or maybe it's motorbike riding, maybe it's knitting, or golf, or hiking, or climbing, just think about that thing that you really love, now when you watch on television, or you see professionals doing it at the elite level, I wonder, um, do you get inspired? Do you like get really inspired to go and do that, to go and become the world's best at that particular thing? Does that happen to you? Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe you see it on TV, you know, it's footy or it's tennis or whatever and you watch them and you, just, you, just, you have to leave and you have to start kicking the footy around or whatever. I used to play a bit of tennis and over the summer months I would um, be watching the tennis competitions, you know, the Hopman Cup and climaxing with the Australian Open. And I'd watch these um, elite sportsmen play tennis and I'd just get really inspired and I'd kind of leave, I'd leave uh, or I'd stop watching the tennis and I'd call up my mate Pete and we'd storm the a local tennis court, whichever one we could get on for free, and we'd built the ball around and we'd just be getting, yeah, let's go, we're going to become the world's best tennis players and we'd just get inspired. Um, but then after a little while, we just realised that we were pretty average at tennis and we uh, Weren't sure whether or not we'd actually make it to the professional level. In fact, it seemed like the more we played, the worse we got at playing tennis. And we, we decided to kind of, um, yeah, give up the thought of representing Australia in that kind of level. We're never going to do amazing things. We're never going to do amazing things for our country, especially if we only played once over the summer. Um, you see, in tennis or football or motorbike riding or extreme knitting, The average, the average don't do amazing things. That just tends to be the way it goes, yeah? If you're not really good, you don't do amazing things. But with the work of God, with God's pro-circuit, if you like, this is all flipped on its head. See, God uses average people to do amazing things for him. You know, maybe you leave church on a Sunday night and you get inspired, you get fired up to live full on for Christ. But by Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, you recognize that you're just average or you just can't quite meet your expectations. Well, if this is you, I just want to encourage you to listen tonight because God wants to do amazing things through you for him. The reading from tonight comes from... In the book of Acts, it's actually the last um, sermon we're actually going to do from the book before we launch into something else. Um, So if you can turn to Acts chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 1 to 22. It's Acts chapter 4, 1 to 22. Peter and John, it's titled, before the Sanhedrin. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed um, because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there and so were Cephas, John, Alexander and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man who was miraculously healed was over forty years old. Just prior to tonight's message, tonight's passage, we've heard how Peter and John went up to the the temple to pray, and they met a man, and he was just read he was over forty years old. He'd been crippled, unable to walk since birth, and by Praying to God in the name of Jesus, the man was completely healed. The man who had received the healing, uh, it says in the passage before us, began to walk and jump, praising God. And the people who saw it were obviously quite amazed because they'd seen this guy every day going up to the temple. They were amazed. And it seemed that there was a growing crowd um, gathering around Peter and John to see what had just happened. And then Peter uses uh, this moment, all these people around, as a launching pad to proclaim the gospel. All these people in front of him, he stands up and he just says, this is about Jesus Christ. And he tells them, all the people standing there, that you guys can have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. You can have your sins forgiven for all the ways you've rejected God. And you can even overcome death. You can be resurrected. So he's, you can imagine the scene set, he's healed this guy, you've got these, uh, this group of people, he's just preached um, to all these people and then this is where our passage comes in. And it seems like his boldness uh, has led to the, the religious officials coming along, coming around him and they're checking out what's happening. And the passage begins by the religious leaders hearing Peter speak a very disturbing message. I hear a disturbing message. So in verse 1 and 2, it says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. He's speaking a disturbing message. And as he's speaking to the people, this hostile party of officios come up. And we've got in the party some priests, you know, those who oversee temple worship. We've got the captain of the temple guard, that's the guy who oversees the security for the temple. And we've got some Sadducees. And it's in understanding the Sadducees that helps us understand why they were so disturbed. You see, the, the Sadducees were a... A religious group within the Jewish religion. And they're made up of both priests and and lay people, so people who actually worked in the temple and other people, kind of just regular people like us who might go to the temple. And they were appeared to be a higher class of Jew, a higher class, and they actually ruled over the other Jews. And they ruled over them in political matters and and religious kind of matters as well. So politically, the the Sadducees they were aligned uh, to the Romans. And the Romans were the, you know, the kind of the, the ruling authority, if you like, over the whole of Israel. And uh, the Sadducees would kind of suck up a bit to the Romans and try and just uh, get on the good side, if you like. And they, in the message of, of Peter, they basically present this kind of subversive message. Because they talk about Jesus, who's actually a king, and they've got Caesar as a king. And so if they've been found to be harboring this kind of people, maybe they'll lose the privilege of being friends with the Romans. So they're scared for that political reason. And they're also disturbed because they don't believe in a resurrection from the dead. They don't believe that that even happens. So when Peter and John have this amazingly big crowd around them, they're probably wondering about this heretical teaching, this lie that's being taught, and maybe they even fear losing some of the the influence over these people. But I reckon that the Sadducees, they would have enjoyed a lot of personal privilege, don't you think? People would have looked up to them for teaching, the local Jewish people. The Romans would have treated them better, you know? And I'm sure they would have had a great deal of their self-worth even bound in their role as a Sadducee in the, in the, the way they lived. And along comes Peter and John who speak this message that threatens their personal uh, position in life, threatens to undermine their respect, the special place of honour and privilege they have, threatened where they find their self-worth. So we find that they throw him in jail. They throw him in jail awaiting a trial on the next day. It says they seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message, it says, believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Here we see... A serious consequence of boldly speaking about the resurrection of Jesus. We see a serious consequence, but please also note that the last bit of four, it says that many people heard and believed in Jesus. People find, actually found forgiveness in Jesus. They found forgiveness and the, the message of the re- resurrection seems to some to be Hope, it brings hope to some, but then there are others who are threatened by the message and they're disturbed by the message. Now, I think this resurrection thing is quite amazing. I don't, I don't think I think about it enough. And as I was preparing the message, I just went, that's amazing. So let's just look at it briefly. In my words, but this is the promise of Jesus to us about the resurrection. Resurrection. Those who trust in Jesus won't stay dead. Does that sound a little bit amazing to you? Those, if you hear, if you trust in Jesus, you won't stay dead. Kind of think on that. If you trust in Jesus, you won't stay dead. We might die a physical death. But then Jesus will rise us to life. He will rise us from death. That is profound. I just want to think about that a bit more. I just want to kind of reflect on that. And you see, the only reason we have death in the world is because there is sin. Because people sin against God. Death, you know, is the result of sin. So that if you have your sins forgiven in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus for your forgiveness of your sins, your sins are forgiven and you'll overcome death. You'll be resurrected. So when we hear about Jesus' resurrection, that's our hope of our future resurrection. Now, for some, this means hope. This is amazing hope and especially for us here tonight. Because no matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter what you're going through, no matter how close to death you might be, no matter how close a Christian friend or relative is to death, death for you is not the end. It's not the end. It's simply the moment when things get exciting and we enter into a relationship, we just get resurrected to be with God. But for others, the resurrection is threatening. And I think it's because it means engaging with death. You know, I think the majority of people don't want to think about death. They just want to enjoy life. You know, live in some kind of denial of the fate that actually lies before every person. So if we're talking seriously about death, it's threatening because it undermines the safe position that a lot of people are in, their position which is not to engage with what's going to happen up here sometime. So do you have hope in the resurrection or does this message threaten your position on life, which might actually be denying truly engaging with death? Now, if you're someone who has put their trust in Jesus, the promise of resurrection is your hope, is your hope and it's your future reality but we also have the task of communicating this message that will disturb some people, but will also bring hope. And when we do, we can expect that people are going to be put out. Some people, we're going to get offside. Some people are going to be quite angry with us for that. But others are going to hear the message and believe. Well, the religious officials might have thought that Peter would get the hint to shut up about speaking the message. But no, he appears to be a sucker for punishment. In verses 5 to 7, we read that he's brought before the bigwigs, he's put on trial, and they ask him a question. They say, by what name or by what power or what name did you do this? Now, this is Peter's opportunity to back down very quickly or run or whatever, to ask for mercy, maybe plead ignorance about what he was actually saying. At least do something to save his hide. Now, I think that at this point, no small alarm bells are going off in Peter's head. No small alarm bells. He's been at that same trial where Jesus was tried and put to death, smashed and nailed on a cross. Now, no small alarm bells for Peter, maybe more like the world's biggest gong, with the Incredible Hulk smashing it in his head, saying, you're going to die. But what does he do? Does he balk? Does he actually pander? No. He launches into this courageous proclamation about the same disturbing message. His courage is amazing. He says, rulers and elders of the people, If we're going to be called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Please notice his tact and diplomacy. As he accuses the religious officials and the entire nation of Israel that they just murdered Jesus. Know this, you and all the people of Israel. You crucified him. God raised him. It's not exactly uh, the kind of pattern for how you win friends and influence people. But he continues on. His boldness is amazing. He says, and he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the capstone, which is a key foundational rock in any building back in the time. The stony you builders rejected has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, in short, Psalm 118 has the psalmist writing about the Lord, the Lord God, who is, uh, you know, the, the It was written quite some time ago and it was written about how their God delivered Israel from the hands of the enemies. And so he's he's quoting about the Lord God who delivers, the Lord who is God who who saves people. Now the religious leaders, they know um, about this Lord. They know Psalm. They know Psalm 118. They know that that's the Lord God. But Peter says, you know the one you believe in the one you claim to come and worship here at the temple, the one under Psalm 118, he is none other than Jesus Christ. That is the one in Psalm, that's that's Jesus, whom you just killed on the cross. And he says salvation, like salvation back then was found in the Lord God Almighty, still now salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ. Now, if you aren't trusting in Jesus, all I can say is I encourage you to think about Jesus Christ and about the salvation that he offers to you, the forgiveness of sins and resurrection he offers to you. All you need to do is turn to him. Turn your life over to Jesus. Trust in him and receive it. But what I want to focus a little bit more on is Peter, crazy nut Peter. What on earth is he thinking about? He hasn't held back. He hasn't gone into image maintenance mode. No, he's just courageous. He's not holding back. He's living this moment. This moment is all for the glory of God. This is what he's here for. Even in the face of great opposition, he's just standing there telling people about Jesus Christ. This moment is all about God and nothing about Peter. He doesn't even care about himself. People, could we be this courageous? Could we be as courageous as Peter in speaking about Jesus in our world? Could we be this courageous where we live and work? I don't know if any of you have played paintball or skirmish. It's a game that tests the courage or it shows how courageous or not you are. Uh, For the uninformed, skirmish is a war game played with guns that fire little balls of paint about the size of a cool mint. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Firing cool mints out of a paintball gun. Players form two opposing sides and then they fight out a military scenario. Players wear overalls, and on the first time I played, I wore greyish overalls, and I had the German flag. Was that Swedish? I don't know. German flag on the side on my arm. Opposition had camouflage overalls, and we all had these face masks so that we didn't get our eye shot out. And the first scenario we played was a capture the flag kind of thing. So each team started at their base, and they had their flag that they had to protect. And at the other end was the opposition's flag and you had to kind of mosey away through the kind of the bush, if you like, and cl- collect their flag and then come back without being shot. It's Very, very fun. It's amazing to feel the adrenaline pumping through you as you think about getting shot by paintballs that form welts like in a couple of seconds. It's great. But in a game of skirmish, you really see who the courageous people are. You really do. Sometimes people just kind of sit in the base and just hope the opposition won't come up and shoot them to death, you know. And other times you see people, they kind of going through the bush and there's like paintballs whizzing past your ears and they're kind of hiding behind a tree and there's like, it's a small tree and, um, and it might be like, you might have a little bit of space but there's paintballs kind of whizzing past you at your head because they aim for your head because that's more fun to hit them in the head. But then some people at that point, who's, who's got the courage? And some people just sit there and they just can't, they can't go anywhere because they're completely frozen. And then there are other people who actually, they time it right, they kind of build up the courage and they come out shooting and they, they run, they're, cl- they're going closer to the flag because that's the target. And they're trying to find a, some refuge further up so they can capture that flag. Courage. Now being a follower of Jesus Christ means nailing our colours to the wall. It means... Being courageous, it means getting ourselves out of our comfort zones and speaking about Jesus. We're called to love people so much that we'll want to speak the gospel to them, even if we might have a few shots fired at us. So can we be as courageous as Peter? Now, at this point, Maybe you think you're not equipped. You're not a special enough person to be used by God to do amazing things for him. You might think you have nothing in common with Peter. He was a great man of God and you're just an average man or woman of God. Maybe you think you aren't that good with words or that you're a bit shy with people. Maybe you think you haven't got anything to offer or you've still got some unresolved issues that you're working through. Or I haven't got enough personal strength to do that kind of thing. Well, if this is you, listen to the next part because it's very encouraging. Verse 13 reads, this is the, the religious officios. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John were average people. They were unschooled. They were ordinary. They or probably more average than us. Here's the encouragement. Average people can be empowered by God to proclaim his good news. Now, I believe that it's a common mindset to have that we lack confidence. We might feel that we can't do big things for God. Now, I reckon if we did a quick survey and said, raise your hands if you feel that way, I think we'd get a lot of hands. Being raised. But here we have proof that God uses average people. And the key to be used to being used by God is not to have superhuman strength or heavenly good looks, although John, that does help, doesn't it, mate? Yeah. That was a good joke. That worked a little bit better than yours before, you know. <laughs> the keys in verse eight. This is the way an average person is empowered to do amazing things for God. Verse 8 reads, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Before he gets up and does this crazy, like, I don't care if I die, kind of courage thing, he's filled with the Spirit and he speaks. Being surrendered to Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit is the way average people can be used by God to do amazing things. The passage continues and we, we, we again see that the power that these men have through the Holy Spirit. They're warned, they're threatened, but whatever, they're not going to shut up. They're going to continue to speak the gospel. So from verse 15, we'll skip through this bit. They ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, here it goes again, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man, was miraculo- for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So despite the threats, um, Peter and John have the power to stand for Christ. And I wonder, what is, it, what is it that God is inviting you to do that up until this moment, you've kind of gone... I I can't feel like I could do this, you know, I haven't got, I can't do it. You know, maybe it's serving in a ministry. Maybe it's choosing a new direction in life, an occupation that would glorify God more. Maybe it's ending a relationship. Maybe it's saying yes and acting on what God wants you to do. I guarantee you, it will definitely relate to you taking a bolder stance and speaking about the love of Jesus to those around you. It will definitely involve you speaking about Jesus, despite the fact this will get some people offside. Because even though the resurrection is hope for some, it's also a threat to others. You know, are are we prepared to do this? Are we going to do this? God says, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do amazing things for me. And if you're at a loss for, well, how on how do I get the Holy Spirit, I think the main deal is giving your life back to Jesus. Give your life back to Jesus. Just give everything back to him, everything back to him. Surrender your control of your life and say, just help me, God. Help me live for you. Tell him you're sorry. Just ask him to rule in your heart. Choose to live for him alone. There's no fence sitting. There's no kind of like, oh, you can have this part of me but not the other part. Jesus just says, give your whole life to me. And it's funny, when you lose your life in that sense, when you hand over control, you gain life. You gain the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Average people can be empowered by God's Spirit to proclaim his message of love to people. You know, I think the reality check with my average tennis ability came very, very quick um, when I got onto the tennis court because my mate Pete would always beat me. And it still frustrates me because I reckon I'm a better tennis player. And I'll tell you why. Technically, I had a better game. I had better style. I had better serve. But it seemed that Pete, he was better under, like, composure, like at those... Tight moments, he'd kind of like pull out the big guns, and he'd kind of knuckle in, and I just lose the plot and hit the ball all over the joint. Pete gave me the reality check. I that I was indeed an average tennis player. I wonder how you feel tonight about your faith in God, about your relationship with God. You know, do you sit here and contemplate your potential in God? Do you contemplate your potential, or do you just think on your inadequacy? Because I think that God looks at us. He looks at each and every one of us and he sees so much potential. He sees so much. He sees so much potential that he says, I'm going to give you the privilege of just joining in this mission of telling people about me. You can participate in this amazing mission of love. Average people. The Holy Spirit empowers average people to do amazing things for God. So let's surrender to God tonight. Let's ask God's spirit. Let's ask God for help, for his power, that we might just proclaim the wonders of our God to a nation who so desperately needs to know. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we, we want to serve you, God. We know that you have a great love for us. And just the, the thought, Lord, that if we trust in you, Jesus, if we give our lives to you, that we can overcome death and be with you for all eternity. This is amazing, God. What an amazing message. And God, well, I pray that for each and every one of us tonight that you would just really come and just help us understand this future hope of ours or the potential for this to be our future hope. And God, would you just come? We surrender to you afresh tonight. We ask for your help. We can't do this in our own strength. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us and empower us by your Spirit, that you would fan into flame this gift you've given us, that we might have the courage of Peter to glorify your name and to help communicate the way people can know you, Jesus. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.